The Tablet Show, Episode 19, with guest Todd Anglin. Recorded live Friday, February 3rd, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Todd Anglin about Kendo UI Mobile. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome to The Tablet Show. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell. It's tablets. It's good. It's phones, too. Phones and tablets. Can't phones help the top of phones and tablets. A mobile thing, all that together, it's all good. Well, this is being recorded on the 3rd of February, right after the famous leak came out about Windows Phone 8. Is it really a leak? There's a, well, there's a leak. Something happened that is allowing all the press to talk about it. So whether it's a leak or not, um, Paul Thorat says it's a leak, and that's why he can talk about it and say what he knows. And... uh I read that article and it's well. And I noticed Joe Belfiore had a uh, comes out with a tweet late yesterday afternoon where he says, "I've been in meetings all day. Anything interesting happening?" Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> it was really funny. But it just sort of point pointed me to the idea of this might not actually been all that unintentional. Well, it's like when Pee Wee Herman uh, got caught, you know, doing what he was doing in an adult theater. He said, "Hey, heard any good jokes lately?" Yeah, yeah, brilliant. All right, better know framework time. Hit me. So the only as of you know the preview, not the not the beta, but the alpha preview that we got from Build of Windows 8 mm-hmm. in WinRT, the only namespace that has absolute perfect compatibility with Silverlight 4 system.windows.shapes. Okay, we're talking ellipse, line, path, polygon, polyline, rectangle, and shape. Aren't you glad? This is very old school. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there are structures that kind of don't change. I mean, polygons, polylines, rectangle shape. And you're always going to need them. You're always going to need them. So it, it's good, you know, that the, the, the foundation that you're standing on is solid. That's yep. what I'm saying. It's old school. <laughs> That's what I got, man. That's what you got, huh? That's it. A classic. Yeah. Well, just see. Your WinForm skills aren't completely lost. That's right. Don't you worry. That's right. Silverlight is compatible with WinRT. Uh, See? Something the same. See? Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Richard. Who's talking to us? Uh, I got a real quick email I wanted to get out there. Uh, Jim Praggett uh, reminded us a while ago that uh, when we were talking about uh, Kindle Fire sales, we quoted the figure of a million... uh, Per week. We were wrong. Through December, and we were wrong. It was a million Kindle devices in total, uh, not just the Fire. And Amazon, of course, not released any individual sales number. There's lots of references to this simple mistake that we made. And uh, either way, I still think the Fire is wildly exciting, just because it set the floor for what's possible in a tablet device. Absolutely. In my mind, it baffled me to see parents buying $600 iPads for their five-year-olds. Yeah. Not that I didn't think it was a good idea because it's, you know, that replaces a DVD player and the, your video game device, all these different things. 
but it's an awfully expensive device. You got to wrap it in a $150 case to have it survive. But a fire, it'll do the things the kid needs and, and not cost anywhere near as much. So. Well, I'll tell you what, my nine year old has been waiting to jump into the online world, you know, ever since she could, you know, play flash games on a computer. She's wanted an iPhone, an iPad, a this and a that. You know, we've told her, be a kid, you know, stay off the grid and enjoy it. But, you know, what fun is it when everybody else is face down in their devices and you want to play? Right. That's just the simple truth. So, she got a Kindle Fire for Christmas. Ah, I and, see. What a nice dad. Yeah. Or well, is it Santa? And she's like uh, an, another kid. Like, she seems, it's very strange, and I hate to say this, but she seems like more comfortable just being alone and doing things by herself, which, you know, she really needed to learn how to do, which I really think is important, by the way, getting off topic for kids to, to have uh, value that time that they spend alone thinking and processing things and reading and that kind of stuff. Well, and, and part of, you know, you know, I have teenagers, so we're also dealing with what's the appropriate use of this device, right. you know, uh, I, it was amusing to me that when my wife and I also had smartphones, that my kids complained that we were using the phones at the table. Right. That's so, funny. You know, we, we sort of uh, are exploring this together and, and saying, you know, how how are we going to work with this as a family? What's right. right? You know, what are we comfortable with? What do we want to do? And they actually are valuing the conversation, too. Yeah, that's what talking's for. Yep. So talk to your kids. All good. All good. Let's do a show. Let's do a show. It's Todd Anglin. He's here. Todd Anglin is VP of HTML5 Web and Mobile Tools at Telerik, a leading vendor of development, team productivity, and automated testing tools, as well as UI components and content management solutions, and also a platinum sponsor of all of our podcasts. He currently leads the global Kendo UI team, which builds professional tools with everything you need to create sites and mobile apps with HTML5 and JavaScript. Todd is an active author and speaker, focusing on technologies like HTML5, JavaScript, and CSS. He's a Microsoft MVP, ASP Insider, founder and president of the North Houston.net Users Group, and an O'Reilly author. Welcome, Todd. Thank you guys very much for having me on. That's uh, quite the bio to read off there. It's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, Kendo UI is really getting a lot of praise uh, from, you know, from people whose opinion matters. Yeah, we're really excited about it. Kendo UI is uh, a big step for Telerik, and uh, we think the product and the engineering are really outstanding. And so far, a lot of the feedback we've been getting from not only the .NET community, but the broad just software development community has been very positive. So tell us what's great about this. Uh, what's different about anything that we've experienced thus far? Sure. So at a high level, just for those who are not familiar, Kendo UI is, uh, is designed to be everything the developer needs to build sites and mobile apps with HTML5 and JavaScript. So we're bringing together all these pieces that you need to do professional development on top of these really kind of uh, hot technologies right now. Everybody knows HTML5. Everybody's talking about these things and how you can build apps with them. And we're bringing all the things you need together in one place. And this is solving a problem that I think a lot of the development community faces when they start to do professional development on this platform. Uh, you know, if you've ever tried to do any kind of HTML5 or JavaScript development, you've probably gone through that process of spending uh, days, if not longer, trying to amass a collection of various JavaScript libraries that represent the foundation on which you'll ultimately need to actually begin the process of building your app. 
So you spent a lot of time just hunting around, vetting different libraries. There's an open source project here, a cool library some guy wrote over the weekend over here. And you bring all these things together, and you create this kind of um, you know, very Frankenstein framework, if you will. Mm. And then you begin building your app on top of that. And we think that's worked for a long time up till now, because a lot of the development being done on HTML5 and JavaScript has been by a lot of hobby, hobby developers. People are really passionate about the technology. But as we see it moving more into the business, more into the enterprise, we think that the need for a framework, a platform that brings everything together, one version number to, re- to worry about, one single source of support, uh, professional support for all the stuff you're working with, we think that becomes increasingly important, and we think that's what Kendo UI can do for this evolving space with HTML5 and JavaScript. Now, technically, it's not an IDE. It's a collection of HTML5 files, JavaScript files, CSS files, that you use in whatever editors or development environment, including Visual Studio, that you want. Is that correct? Sure, yeah. I mean, you can literally install Kendo UI into your development experience with a copy and paste of two CSS file references, a uh, link to jQuery, and then the JavaScript minified file for, for Kendo UI. I mean, just copying and pasting four lines into your file, and you've got Kendo UI installed. And then working with it just becomes a matter of what is your favorite IDE, whether it's Visual Studio or TextMate or Sublime, whatever it is, you can use that and work with uh, Kendo UI, absolutely. And it fully supports jQuery? Fully supports jQuery. In fact, that's the only external dependency for Kendo UI is jQuery, the jQuery core library. So we build on top of that, and that allows us to give to developers a very familiar development experience. If you've used jQuery, you probably will feel very at home working with Kendo UI. It's another thing that separates what Kendo UI is doing from some of the other libraries that are out there that do a lot of things for the HTML and JavaScript developer. Few of those existing libraries base their work on jQuery. So developers using them have to kind of learn everything from the ground up. We think jQuery is a good starting place. If if you do any kind of search, like a Google Trends compare, I don't know if you've ever used Google Trends, but it's a pretty neat way to kind of see anecdotally what's more popular than something else. And if you compare jQuery to things like MooTools or any of the other very core JavaScript frameworks, jQuery essentially won the battle. jQuery became mm-hmm. the predominant uh, JavaScript framework. So it's a great foundation to build on, and that's why we've used it inside of Kendo UI. And I noticed you, you were quite specific there. You said jQuery core, because there's also jQuery UI. Sure. And this is a common misconception, or at least a common um, syn- syntactical thing we're trying to correct and make sure people understand very clearly that there are really three parts to the jQuery project. There's jQuery, the core library, which we've all been using for years and years, and this is primarily things that don't ever surface at the UI level. These are the low-level things we use to neutralize the differences between different browsers. Your, your ability to find components on the page, like dealing with all that lookup stuff, that kind exactly. of thing. It's the stuff that actually made programming in JavaScript fun again, and yes. stuff we've been using now for a while. And there are two other projects still under the jQuery banner, but built by, in many cases, different people, um, and that's jQuery UI and jQuery Mobile. So they also build on top of the jQuery core, but they are in many ways just as separate from jQuery core as Kendo UI is. They're all things building on top of that core experience to provide more. So uh, we think the core is great. We think we can build on that. In fact, we think jQuery UI and jQuery Mobile are very good as well uh, as out-of-the-box experiences. And for the .NET developer, and I know a lot of uh, the audience here is familiar with the .NET development experience, Microsoft has always provided their core platforms, things like .NET and ASP.NET, and they've provided out-of-the-box tools that come with that. And everybody generally knows that the out-of-the-box tools can only get you so far, and you really need 
companies and people like Telerik and Kendall UI that can deliver more than that to help the professional developer get everything they need. So I'm looking at KendoUI.com and just looking at the examples, and we should go through some of these UI widgets in DataViz uh, specifically. But man, this is slick looking stuff. So let's talk about the, the UI widgets first of all. Um, we have autocomplete, a calendar, combo box, a date picker, drop down list, grid, menu, numeric text box, panel bar, slider, splitter, tab strip, time picker, tree view, upload, window, upload, man, we got to come back to that one, uh, window, and then you also have framework widgets, which are data source, templates, drag and drop, validator, globalization, and integration. Um, the upload thing is something that uh, is near and dear to my heart just because it's difficult to do uploading without asynchronous or jQuery or anything like that and very difficult to do in HTML and provide a nice experience. So I'm very happy to see a file uploader there. Sure, and that's actually an interesting one to, to, to pick out from that collection of, of what's in uh, Kindle UI Web because that's one of the places where we actually leverage more of HTML5 when it's available uh, by using the file API. So what that lets us do through the browser is when you use the Kendo UI upload tool, if you're in an HTML5 browser that supports the file API, you can do the kind of drag and drop, drag a file from your desktop, drop it on the upload tool in the browser, and, yeah. and let the upload begin asynchronously. You can open up the file selection dialog and select multiple files at one time instead of that kind of traditional select one file at a time we used to do in the, in the web with uploading. So that's one of those cool controls where we take advantage of HTML5 when it's available, and then we gracefully degrade to older forms of upload when older browsers like IE7 or IE8 come around. Uh, so you still have a functional experience. It's just not quite as rich. But uh, all those things you've listed are one of the, the three parts of Kendo UI. And if we split up Kendo UI into its three parts, it's Kendo UI Web, DataViz, and Mobile. And the web stack you just talked about is, is version one, first of all. So all that we've, we've managed to deliver pretty quickly. And it's a lot of the UI stuff that you might be familiar with if you're building websites, web applications. And then what we think is pretty cool is it's stuff that's not visual, so the data source and the templating, things that you need foundationally to build great software, but that don't necessarily get as much credit as the grids and the trees yeah. and things that people always see. But you need those things. You need those things to build great software with JavaScript, and you need them to be built for performance because we expect these things to run not only on desktop browsers where you have a lot of computing power, but on, as the show is appropriate for, on tablets, on right. mobile devices. And when you get there, then you've got some issues with computing power where you really have to be careful with how you write your JavaScript if your application is going to stay fast. And the uh, the data viz, we didn't really talk about that yet. Uh, that's the visualization, the charting and graphing and all that stuff, all in JavaScript, HTML, CSS. Yeah, so that's the second part of Kendo UI, and the DataViz builds on top of two technologies to deliver the uh, the DataViz that we have today, and that's SVG, Scalable Vector Graphics, in the browsers that support that. And we can also fall back automatically, so the, the developer consuming it doesn't have to worry about this. We'll do it internally. We can fall back to a technology called VML, or Vector Markup Language. Yeah. Uh, and that was an old IE technology, originally developed for Office, uh, but it allows us to continue to make these plug-in-free charts work in the older versions of IE while delivering the SVG versions in the newer, um, more standards-based browsers. But either way, it's 
It's vector charting that can animate in the browser. No plugins are required. No images being sent from the server to the browser. So it's a pretty cool usage of these web standards to deliver some neat stuff. And and I also noticed that you have support for mobile, of course, but older browsers. So tell me, how does that work? If your browser doesn't support HTML5, am I still going to get a good experience? Yeah. And yeah, we use HTML5 as a convenient term because you know everybody's latched on to it. There's a certain amount of... Uh, of meaning that people associate with that, but really Kendo builds on the HTML, let's take the version number off, and JavaScript technologies, and we take a lot of time to make sure that the things that we deliver in newer browsers still function or function uh, very closely to the way they do in newer browsers all the way back to IE7. Wow. Uh, we originally in the beta built in support to IE6, and we surveyed our audience, and we were wondering, is it really still appropriate to carry IE6 support forward, and the, the strong feedback we got is now is the time to cut IE6. So yeah. we cut IE6 out, so we support IE7 and up, and we do a lot of work to make sure things that are in the newer browsers are extra rich and things in older browsers are still functional. Uh, do, the, do the developers have some choice on how to react to that down-level behavior? We, as much as possible, at least within the tools, try to handle that automatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, much like jQuery tries to eliminate the, the need for you to focus on how does one browser's JavaScript implementation differ from the next, we try to take that burden off the developer. When they're working with Kendo UI, we don't want them to have to worry about, all right, I've built my software, it works, I like it, now I've got to go test it in IE7, IE8, IE9, Firefox 3, Firefox 4. We want to let them build something in, let's say, Chrome, have it look the way they want it to look, work the way they want it to work, and expect that same thing to happen when they open up an older browser. So we try to take care of as much of that as we can, but ultimately it is JavaScript and HTML, so there are ways developers can get in there, customize that, take more control, and we provide some guidance for that too. And and dealing with all these different form factors and platforms, you still have, I mean, it's not like a a magic library that automatically knows what uh, device it's running on and resizes or adds and removes features, is it? Or does it do some of that? Yeah, that, that really carries us into the third part of Kendo UI. So we, we talked about Kendo UI Web, Kendo UI DataViz, and the third part of Kendo UI today is Kendo UI Mobile, which is currently in beta. And with Kendo UI Mobile, we're providing a set of UI widgets designed for those developers trying to build mobile-specific UI, mobile-specific apps with HTML and JavaScript. And there we do a little bit of that kind of magic adaptation to different devices. Hmm. Um, and, and our philosophy there was a little bit different in that we said, when I'm building an app, if I'm a business and I want to target mobiles, mobile users, tablet devices, whatever it may be, uh, I'm really in the business of just trying to get my functionality to those users in a way that feels right to those users. Uh, and I don't have a Objective-C and an iOS developer. I don't have a Java and Android developer on staff. I don't want to maintain all these different development teams or all these different development skills. HTML and JavaScript can give me a set of technologies that I can build up one team that is an expert and master in those skills. And with a framework like Kendo UI Mobile, I can build an app once, and then on iOS, Kendo UI Mobile is going to make that app automatically look native, look right on an iOS device. And if I load that same app up on an Android device, Kendo UI Mobile is actually going to do a little bit of automatic rearranging, color changing to Mm. look right on Android. Wow. Uh, And so the idea here was that you could literally create an app uh, for mobile specifically and have it look right on iOS and Android with very little effort. Um, Now, we don't subscribe to the philosophy of right once uh, runs everywhere. We we don't think that that is a a valid philosophy. Yeah, because that puts you in an impossible situation, really. Absolutely. And we're not magicians. We can't, and we don't even think developers like that approach. 
Uh, so we're not going to be in that kind of position where you could build your desktop experience, and when you open it up on a phone, suddenly it looks right on the phone, and then yeah. suddenly it looks right on the tablet. But we're going to give you the tools that minimize the amount of time you have to spend focusing on the differences between the platforms. So yeah. when you build that mobile app, it looks right on iOS and uh, Android. Then when you build it for tablet, it looks right on the different tablet form factors, desktop browsers. We want to minimize that time, but we don't want to go so far that it feels like we're doing too much magic. Uh, and, and as I've seen tweeted, and I think it's very valid, we don't want to put you in a position where your writing once sucks everywhere. We want it to <laughs> be good where it runs. That's what we want. But I, and I do think you get into some real challenges here when you talk about, especially between, say, Phone 7 and iPhone, where there are very different UI philosophies. Your layout can't be the same if you're really going to respect either one of them. And the, that difference you highlighted there is actually one of the most difficult because uh, Windows Phone does present one of the most unique approaches to mobile UI when you compare it against things like iOS, Android, and even BlackBerry to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's part of the reason we're not supporting the Windows Phone uh, mobile platform and the Kendo UI mobile version 1. Part of it's the browser, part of it's the market adoption, and part of it is it's just so different. Uh, But it's something we're going to keep our eye on in the future. And and we've got things that are being done already for Windows Phone with the RAD controls for Windows Phone 7 that Telerik produces and we have plans being developed for Windows 8, and you guys mentioned the Windows Phone 8 uh, leak today. Yeah, and, that changes things. Yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of stuff spinning on the Windows side specifically. Uh, but, you know, in, in some ways, in many ways, for the .NET developer especially, uh, they've got a great IDE. They've got a great development experience to build for natively for the Windows platform. But then when they look out and they say, all right, we can do this, but we also need to build things that run on the iPhone, the iPad, Android. We've got a lot of users using those things. Right. Uh, we think HTML5 and JavaScript is a faster way for them to get there than trying to spin up new teams on Xcode and Objective-C and Java and all the rest. Uh, so in many ways, it's, it's a, a big boon, a big benefit for the guys that are doing Windows development, even though we don't directly support it today. And we sort of walked past this, but is it all the same features in the mobile product that's in the regular uh, Kendo UI? So it, just to make sure the, the, the positioning is understood well, Kendo UI web is sort of wrapping up something else we like to internally refer to as Kendo UI core. And that mm-hmm. core part is things like the, the data source, uh, the templating engine, the validation, and all of that travels across all pieces of Kendo. You'd expect to have that available to you whether you're working on mobile or a desktop browser. But the UI parts of it, so the UI widgets specifically being built for mobile, are very different than the UI widgets you'll find for a Kendo UI web. Mm-hmm. And this is part of our philosophy, again, of making sure that when people use the tools, they're using tools that are designed to give a great experience where they're run, not just an okay functional experience. Uh, and there's some other frameworks out there that try to kind of push the idea of a single UI metaphor for anywhere your application runs. So you've got the same tools in the desktop browsers and the same tools on the mobile devices. And while you can do that, what usually ends up happening is that it looks okay on the desktop, looks okay on mobile, but doesn't look perfect on either. So we provide tools designed for that mouse and keyboard input for the desktop, and we provide tools designed for that mobile touchscreen input for mobile, and we think developers can choose the best for whatever kind of project they're making. And just to be clear here, the product's freely downloadable? Yeah, so it's dual license today. So that means that if uh, you're working on a GPL open source software, then we you can download all of Kendo UI for free and use it in that uh, in a project that's compatible with that open source license. And we also have uh, the commercial free trials and the commercial licenses. So for any other project, we've got a, actually a really affordable commercial license that allows people to download this and use it in their 
their projects and uh, and really go to town. So we we have we tried to put both those options out there, and, and I've done had some conversations with people in the past. I know we say GPL, we talk start talking about open source licenses. A lot of people have different reactions to that, but mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're in the business to create professional software that saves people time. You know, we are good at creating software and selling it. We're not here to create okay software and then sell you our training and our services just so you can use it. Uh, so we have a commercial licensing model. We think the software uh, justifies the price, and we think people that check it out through the free trials uh, will see that it's going to be a great way to get their software to the market faster. But if you are an open source guy, there's an open source version. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we want to support that as well. Awesome. Man, it just seems like there's so much stuff to, to talk about. What, um, what, are, what, are some of the, what, what are some of your favorite features of Kendo UI? Let me put it that way. Uh, you know, for for me, a lot of what's really cool in Kendo UI is, in fact, the the things you don't see, the the data source, uh, the templating, which we spent a lot of time making sure is as fast as you can make templating with JavaScript. Can we do binding? Uh, binding is coming. In fact, just as sort of the the sneak into the future, we're working on a Kendo UI MVVM implementation to do that kind of full UI binding story, uh, and so that's going to be coming up here in March. So not not far off. We're working really hard on that. Um, but we want to make sure that you have all these things, and we want to make sure that they're done in a way that really drives home the idea of JavaScript that's built for performance. And every step of the way we've been going here with things like the templates and the drag and drop and the binding that we're working on now, we're spending a lot of time in tools like JSPerf. I don't know if your audience has seen that, but it's a really neat way to create a test specifically about testing JavaScript performance that can be distributed, run on different browsers, run by different people on different machines, and aggregate all the results to see what is the best way to write some JavaScript that runs fast. And there are some popular libraries out there today, things that people are using um, and using quite a bit, that when we looked at them, we liked them, but we couldn't really take dependencies on them because they had some issues, their performance wasn't up to the level that we wanted to meet. So that's why we're spending a lot of time engineering things that, yes, there are already existing open source projects for them. They're great. They're free. But we can do them better, and then we can update them faster when we build them into Kendo UI. So I'm really excited about those things we're doing because they're giving you all the pieces you need, not just the UI pieces, so that you really can build a complete application that will work really nicely on a tablet or an iPhone, not just on a big, powerful desktop browser. This portion of the Tablet Show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. So when we're looking at building these mobile apps, uh, 
using the the Kendo UI? Are you you trying to go for that sort of native look and feel? This seems to be the battle these days. Is do I build this in Objective C and really use the native platform, or can I get away with HTML5 and I just want to get a, not do the scrolling thing, not make it absolutely clear this is a web page. Yeah. So, so for our Kindle UI mobile, that is, we are targeting the native look and feel for device. The idea that if you were to take Kindle UI mobile, build your app experience, uh, and then I know you had a guest on, I think last week, even talking about PhoneGap, and so I think your mm-hmm. audience is familiar with that. Yeah. Uh, you, you take PhoneGap, wrap up the things you've done with Kendo UI Mobile, if you were to deploy that through the App Store and the user were to install it, that they would have no idea that you used HTML and JavaScript to build your app. Uh, the, the benefit would be to you, the development team, that was able to take one set of skills, build an app that you wrapped up with PhoneGap and pushed out to both Android and iOS app stores, and now you're just collecting users from, from both places. So we think that the story here that we're really appealing to is that business that knows they need to be on mobile devices, but doesn't want to take the time or doesn't can't afford the cost of building an app multiple times. And we just don't think that's tenable. I mean, long-term businesses cannot expect to be businesses that are not in the business of building mobile software. Let me clarify that too. Yeah. Uh, cannot expect to be building their apps multiple times just to reach their users. It's just not not a smart way to do software. So. We think HTML5 and JavaScript, when built to look native, especially when combined with native wrapping tools like PhoneGap, takes most applications as far as they need to go to deliver the things their users need. Now, I mean, if you're Foursquare or if you're Twitter or if your whole business model is built around a really premium native experience on mobile, then you're probably going to have those teams in-house anyway to build those native apps. But if you're an insurance company, if you're banking, if you're healthcare and your model is not mobile software, you just need to get your functionality out there. And we think HTML and JavaScript do a sufficient job for that kind of scenario. Todd, I believe I cut you off when you were talking about your data template being your favorite feature. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, the, the templating engine in particular is, is neat because it's really simple and it's really fast. Um, so when you combine it with things like our grids, you know people don't realize that when you have a grid and a grid row, every row represents a need to run a template so that your JavaScript can transform your JSON data to look like the right HTML. So if your templating engine is even incrementally slow running one time, when you add a grid to the story, it multiplies very quickly and you can really slow down the interface, interface of the page. So we did work to make sure that our templating engine is so fast that when you combine it with a grid and a grid that has many rows, the whole experience stays very fast, very fresh, uh, especially on those touch devices that have lower processing power. So uh, it, it's really simple to use and learn. That's what I love about the learning curve. In fact, uh, a while back I built an interactive slide deck on Google's uh, HTML5 slide template. And people can kind of click through that, see all this in action, and just see it doesn't take much code to bring your, your application to life. And you can do it with nothing more than a few lines of JavaScript and some simple HTML. Uh, there's no need for complex frameworks or all this other stuff that we were used to as developers to make it all happen. Right. Uh, and when you do that, you can reach anybody. I mean, that's why HTML5 is winning the web. I've talked for a long time about technologies like Silverlight and Flash and HTML5. And when people ask, why is HTML5 suddenly you know, in the limelight? Why is there so many people talking about it? Really, it's because it's everywhere. It's on mobile devices. It's on tablets. It's on Internet-enabled TVs. It's on computers. It is the one technology that has managed to find itself everywhere the Internet is, uh, everywhere where app platforms are, and that's why it's winning. Are there better development experiences for Silverlight? Sure, absolutely. Can you do more with Silverlight for Windows? 
Yes, definitely. Can you run Silverlight on an iPad or an iPhone? No. Can you run it on an Android tablet? No. So it depends on what your requirements are, but if you want to reach the most people, HTML5 and JavaScript just simply is the best technology for that. Do you have any way that we can reach into the platform that we're on and and see what the, um, uh, you know, and figure out what the uh, requirements are, the features that are available, or should we still be using other libraries to do that? Yes, you raise a, a really great concept that um, that people should be adopting as they adopt the new parts of HTML5 and JavaScript, because clearly not every browser, every environment can be able to do everything at once. Uh, so one of the things that we used to do in web development, you guys may remember some of this, is we would do browser user agent sniffing. Sniff the browser. You know, what is the browser? And based on that, I'll change the way my app behaves. Mm-hmm. And, and that's sort of in our opinion, and I think the industry's opinion as well, uh, now not the best way to do things. The best way to do things is to sniff features, right. check the features that are available in browsers, and that way, as browsers evolve, if a feature becomes available, your application will automatically start doing more in that browser before you come back around to check the user agent. Uh, so we would still recommend a library like Modernizer. Modernizer is a cool, free, open-source um, JavaScript library, which is designed specifically to simplify the process of telling your application, can the browser or whatever it is visiting your HTML and JavaScript do X? So can it do Canvas? Can it do geolocation? And through a very simple API, you can communicate to your application if these things are available, and then you can make those kind of decisions how do I adapt or present my application to a less or more capable browser, depending on how you go about designing? Uh, so, so we don't need to provide that because we think that Modernizer is a sufficient solution. We'll do some of that internally. So, you know, when we're doing, when I'm talking about Kendo UI adapting on its own, that's some of the stuff that we're doing. But if you're doing it at your application level, Modernizer is a great library for something like that. Um, we got a question in from Twitter from Derek Bailey, who was asking about accessibility. Uh, which I think is a very challenging topic. It's a show I need to do entirely on its own. Just this whole idea of how do we make a web that's accessible to those who maybe are vision impaired or hearing impaired. Is there any you know a mind to that? I know you're at version one, but are you thinking about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we we know we need to do more there. That in fact that's probably one of the things that we'll be improving a lot in in the next version as well. Uh, so things like ARIA support and all you know section five hundred eight and all the things that get layered on. You start talking about accessibility are things that at Telerik we've been doing for you know a decade essentially. You know we've been building professional UI for governments and military and all kinds of organizations that have very strict usability requirements. So we're, we're uh, or accessibility requirements. So we're well aware of the uh, the need and a lot of the rules around that. And that's one of the things that we will continue to improve and bake into Kendo UI. Uh, some of it's there today, but you know the the area of accessibility is always evolving. So things like the ARIA support is relatively new within that, that conversation. So we'll be adding those things to Kendo UI to make sure that it's not only a very rich interactive framework, but also a very accessible framework too. You know, and not the same topic, but a similar, you know, bringing tools to make a fairly challenging thing easier is the whole globalization ability, like building able to build sites that'll handle multilingual, handy multi-currency, things like that. Yeah, and globalization is one of those other things, those non-visual things we pack into Kendo UI Web or the core of Kendo UI, uh, because we recognize when you provide something like a numeric input, uh, if you don't have globalization, then not everybody uses the the period or the decimal point to separate uh, numbers. You know, you have to have adapt to the comma for for many different uh, localizations. Um, yeah, and and for developers, that's particularly evil because we do other things with commas. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> so. 
so we recognize the need for that as well, and globalization is one of those things we've already packed into uh, to version one of Kendo UI. I think there's like 100 plus different language files that we ship depending on your need for uh, culture support. So it's an important part. I mean, when you're building software today, especially if you're building this kind of software we're describing that reaches everybody, that includes reaching people that have different accessibility requirements as well as different language requirements. So you can't ignore that when you start building this broadly reachable software. What about uh, Sencha Touch? So that's a, a JavaScript framework uh, along the same lines. Are, you, you, are they a competitor? Yeah, Sencha, uh, I think Sencha was formerly EXT.js, and, and these... Uh, guys are also creating software that is, uh, in many ways, competitive to what Kendo UI is doing, and and uh, yeah, they've been out there doing doing their stuff for a while. It's one of those frameworks that, when I reference frameworks not based on jQuery, that's sort of one of those other frameworks that's like that. So mm-hmm. somebody not familiar with jQuery may have a, a more difficult time ramping up on that. But yeah, they're out there doing their stuff for for desktops and for touch as well. Uh, so it certainly is a competitive offer out there. It's, there's more than one way to do this. Yeah, there always is. And that's one of the neat things about this space is that it's very vibrant. I mean, when, I think I've chatted with, with um, you about this in the past and others, that when you look at HTML5 and JavaScript, there's really an unprecedented coalescence of the big tech players in these technologies. Right. If, if you listed off Microsoft, Google, Adobe, Amazon, uh, Apple, and even toss in Facebook, I mean, these are some of the biggest tech players in the industry, and they all, in their own way, some of them more than others, are centered around HTML5 and JavaScript. We see with Microsoft and Windows 8, Google clearly is uh, he- heavily invested in HTML5 and JavaScript. So, you know, Adobe, I mean, who would have thought Adobe, you know, the purveyor of Flash, right. would come around to being an advocate for HTML5 and JavaScript? So, we think when you put this many people in a room, all focused on the same technologies, as an industry, we just haven't really experienced that in a long time, at least as far as I can remember. Everybody's been about building and owning their own platform for the last at least decade, yeah. and now suddenly everybody's more concerned about owning the tooling experience, owning, owning the cloud, owning the services, not so concerned about owning the platform. And that's going to create an interesting evolutionary path. I think we're only going to see the, the pace of evolution of the tools and the learning experience and everything else uh, accelerate faster because you have this much attention on the core of HTML and JavaScript. Well, and I think you're hinting at a bigger issue here, which is that the the libraries in the page and the actual implementation of it is one thing, but the integration with your dev tools is another thing entirely. Yeah, like actually figuring out how to use each one of these components well, making them part of your dev experience. Everything's got a learning curve. Uh, absolutely, we, we think that's one of the benefits of building on top of something like jQuery is you can reduce that learning curve. You can make it feel more natural, more fluent, right. more part of just the way you would develop if you just. If I asked you how would you do this if you were using jQuery, then that's kind of the way we think that our API should be. It's very intuitive in that way. But you know, it's just more broadly speaking to, to HTML5 and JavaScript. Yeah, you know, this is a shift in, in approach. And one of the things that I I like to caution developers about as we talk about these technologies is. A mental shift is in order. Uh, when we've talked about HTML and JavaScript up until this point, you know, 20 years, we've traditionally associated these technologies as the exclusive domain of a browser. These yeah. are browser and web technologies. The reality is these are just programming languages. One is a UI language. One is a, a actual code language, a, you know, a logic language. And they are finding their way outside of the browser very quickly. I mean, Windows 8 is a perfect example of that, where you can build, you know, so-called Windows native software using HTML and JavaScript, or you could build WebOS software 
uh, before it kind of met, met its fate with, at the hands of HP, uh, you could build WebOS software with native uh, HTML and JavaScript. So the technologies themselves, the languages themselves, are evolving outside of the browser environment, and it's important for people to recognize that this is not just web development uh, gone amok. This is a technology platform, a technology stack that is being evolved, made more powerful, made more performant, and the languages are finding their way well beyond just the confines of the browser where they've been for a long time. Well, if you look at, to get back to these uh, UI widgets, if you look at the mobile stuff and the demos that you guys have online, man, that looks like a native iPhone app to me. Yeah, in fact, you should try it from an iPhone. <laughs> it looks even more native on an iPhone. Uh, That's the browser, crazy. The desktop can only go so far in replicating uh, the actual browsers on devices. So if, if you browse those same demos from an actual iOS or Android device, you'll get an experience that feels and looks even more native than uh, what you see in the desktop. That you can't argue with that, man. That's great. You know, one of the challenges I have when we're developing against these JavaScript frameworks is debugging. Is there anything you dread more than seeing there's an error that's referenced inside a library you didn't write? Yeah, you you know what you really need, Richard? You need a company that has good technical support. Well, there's that angle on it, but maybe, uh, Todd, just talk to us about debugging these pages. Yeah, I mean, you referenced probably the worst case scenario, which is an error inside of a library you didn't write. Right. That's a really tricky situation. Uh, but in general, the debugging tools uh, for your own kind of coding have really improved. Uh, and I find I work a lot with Google Chrome and Google Chrome's dev tools, uh, which are ship as part of the browser. And the way those tools evolve, have evolved over the last two years even is pretty incredible. There's things in there to do memory profiling, uh, timeline profiling for the page rendering pipeline, as well as setting breakpoints in your JavaScript, stepping through all that, profiling your JavaScript. I mean, this is a pretty impressive set of tools that's shipping inside of the browsers, and each browser has their own set of tools. Firebug in Firefox is very popular. Opera has its own set of tools, Dragonfly, uh, and Microsoft, of course, with its IE dev tools. So there are some pretty incredible tools inside of the browsers these days for helping you debug much more quickly the JavaScript problems that you may have. It's a totally different experience than what we had in the 90s or even five, mm. six years ago for JavaScript, where I know a lot of developers kind of established their opinion of what it's like to build with JavaScript. Painful, hard to debug, can't figure it out, do all these alert statements just to figure out what's going on. Yeah. And that's not the state of JavaScript development or debugging today. It's much, much more uh, mature than that, but there's still room to go. I mean, I'm still talking about debugging inside of the runtime, inside of the browser. So sure. we, we would love to have tools that could go even further and allow us to do that in our IDE so we're not hunting and pecking for errors uh, in the browsers. Well, and we have tools that do that. We have tools that look into the stack and tell us, uh, you know, what what's actually being sent over the pipe and therefore where's the line of code. But I, w I would argue that with this kind of thing, your your JavaScript code tends to be pretty damn high level because you're relying on this framework. And and uh, I think, like you said, Todd, the, the worst-case scenario is when you have a bug in some code that's not yours, but uh, that's why you need a, a company that has a good track record with support. Yeah, I don't even think it... I wouldn't even consider it... I mean, my reaction when you get an error like that is that it was you, yeah. right? You have fed the UI something, that library, something it can't digest. Yeah. And uh, you know, blame yourself first and try and run back out. The likelihood that there's actually a bug in the library is pretty low. That's what I'm saying. And more often than not, that's definitely the, the, the case. And, you know, one of the things that, again, just to, to speak to Kendo UI's approach, one of the things and the advantages of what our integrated approach represents is it, that likelihood of you causing the problem 
increases when you combine a lot of libraries written by a lot of different yeah. people. Because those libraries will make assumptions, and sometimes other libraries will make the same assumptions, and they'll step on each other. And that's when you can find yourself in this kind of glue code you know, challenge of, how do I make all these guys play well together so then I can write my code on top of it without errors I don't, uh, I don't understand? And so when you get an integrated experience, at least, when you get something like Kendo UI, which doesn't force you to bring a lot of different people's libraries together to get started, there's a lot less likelihood that you're going to create that code that does trigger one of those errors you just don't get. Yeah, my first thought looking at the current version of Kendo UI is I think I want to mix Knockout JS with this. Yeah. But I also think I've just given myself a big project to say, how do these two frameworks get along? Yeah, and that's actually not not a easy solution. And um, we we go further than we think most any other library out there today to provide Knockout JS integration. We've done mm-hmm. a lot to make that work, but there are still things that we would have to go even further to provide really deep Knockout integration because Knockout has its own observable pattern implementation, uh, which in in you know boiling that back out into simpler terms means we would have to write code in Kendo UI that is specifically targeted at Knockout to make it work in the way uh, normal HTML does with Knockout. So, but I guess it's going to be an interesting call for you, you know, in your role helping to direct where Kendo's going, is do you write your own uh, binding solution, or do you just say, hey, we're going to commit to, to, you know, if you want to do binding, you should use Knockout.js. Yeah, so we want to provide the out-of-the-box integrated experience first and foremost, which is why we're providing our own MVVM implementation in our, in our next release, so that you can get that without the need to seek out an external library. Right. But we've always said we want to provide the escape hatches so that if you're a huge fan of a different library, templating or binding or whatever else, that you can do that. We don't want to be a, you know, we'd say it's us or nothing. We just want to say we're going to give you the best integrated experience out of the box, but if you're a master of some other library, you love it, you want to use it, then we're going to give you the best hooks we can to enable you to use that. Well, uh, I don't know that it's a fan club issue so much as a, hey, I've got 20,000 lines of work in JavaScript here that depends on Knockout JS. Don't tell me you want me to rewrite. Tell me how sure. you're going to layer in. Sure. Yeah, and that's what we're doing. And we're working hard with the Knockout community now to see how far we can go uh, with Kendo and, and deeper integration. I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, extensions for Knockout in the future that, that can take that even further. Um, but there's some real challenges there, and we'd love to have people come to our forums and, and discuss how they're using Knockout with Kendo so we can really understand the, the challenge area more deeply. Uh, but we're working hard with the Knockout guys and with our own code to see what can we do to provide that kind of seamless integration, because we do. We want to make sure that people who have investments in other libraries, especially the big popular libraries, can very easily adopt Kendo as well. Sure. And I also think you got the same challenge there again with uh, jQuery UI. Maybe I go down a certain length of the path with jQuery UI. I'm missing some features I really want. I see them in Kendo UI. Now I want, you know, I, I don't want to rewrite. I want to add your stuff in and maybe ease their stuff out later. Yeah. And you can use that side by side. I mean, that's one of the beauties of a lot of JavaScript libraries. There's no reason you can't bring us in and use us where you need us and use jQuery UI where you need jQuery UI. And we had this debate early on. In fact, when I joined up in my role on the, uh, on the Kendo UI team, one of the first questions I started asking is, why aren't we building on top of some of these very popular open source projects? Because, you know, mm-hmm. other people are as well. And, and the response that I got from the team, now I pushed hard on this because there are some very cool libraries that seem like logical starting points. 
is that we want to be able to respond very fast to the feedback we get from our customers. So if, mm-hmm. if something doesn't work the way they want, want it to or they want new functionality, that we can deliver that with our three releases per year and, and get that to them very quickly. And what we recognize is that going the route of building on top of something, having all these external dependencies, so to speak, so you download Kendo UI, then you've got to go get jQuery UI, then you've got to go get Knockout, then you've got to go get this, it starts to break down that whole model that we're trying to promote in the first place is you download a framework and you just go. Uh, so we want to eliminate that external dependency problem so you just have a library that works, and we want to be able to respond quickly without being forced to rely on some external controlling body to accept our pull requests or to, uh, to, to agree with our decisions about how we need to make the tools better. We just thought to deliver the kind of experience that we wanted to deliver and the message that we wanted to deliver, we needed that kind of control over the framework. So that's why we've chosen to build a lot of the things ourselves as opposed to building on top of the open source projects. But we also recognized from day one that there were going to be the people, that, as you've described, that have big investments in those projects. Yeah. And we need to be good stewards, good neighbors. This is what we usually say. We need to be good neighbors of the JavaScript community to make sure that our code works very well side-by-side side with that code and integrates where it can uh, as seamlessly as possible. So, And you have taken a dependency on jQuery core. Yeah, like You've so, got to have jQuery core. And, and, yeah. and you're admitting to a potential vulnerability here. If a new browser comes out with a cool new feature that really needs to be in core, you've got to wait for the jQuery core guys to get it. Yeah, in fact, you know, this is one of those things that the, the team hi- opened my eyes to. I mean, I love jQuery. I'm a consumer of jQuery. I use it all the time. Sure. And I, I never realized there were problems with jQuery. And the uh, core team for Kendo UI said, yeah, there are certain ways that jQuery does things that make it really simple, you know, really elegant from a coding perspective, but from a performance perspective, isn't isn't as good as it could be. So, right. you know, in some cases, we're even internally patching uh the jQuery core, which is a lot of maintenance overhead on our side, but uh, we're doing those things that our customers can take advantage of the even faster experience. So, yeah, we recognize that if we have to take one external dependency, it should be jQuery. Even that has a few issues, but we think it's worth the uh, the dependency because people know it, people have it, they use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just want to minimize those dependencies beyond that. So, Todd, while you guys were talking there, I went with my iPhone to KendoUI.com and launched the demos, the mobile demos, and uh, lo and behold, it looks like I'm in my settings in my iPhone. It, it's great, except for one thing, the Chrome at the bottom that tells me I'm in the browser. Is there any way to turn that off? Yeah, and this is one of those tricks of the iOS browser uh, in particular. Now, uh, one option you have if you're, if you're navigating to an app from a browser, there's that little button at the bottom that uh, you can use to pin it to the home or pin it to the home screen of your phone. And what that will do is actually, in so many words, install that HTML package right onto your iPhone screen with a little icon. And when you tap that and launch it up, it'll actually launch and you'll have none of those buttons at the bottom, no address bar at the top. It'll really feel like a native app. Uh, and you can do that through the browser. The, the other option, of course, is when you take something with Kendo UI Mobile, package it up with something like PhoneGap, push it out through an app store, then it also has that same uh, Chrome-less experience inside of a, a mobile device. You yep. don't have the browser stuff getting in your way. Yep, I just did that as we as you said that, and it looks great. Looks fantastic. Cool. And it's beta, so you know we've got a, a couple of months, or actually about a month and a half to go before it's version one. So there's some things we're still polishing up on inside of this. We're collecting a lot of feedback. Uh, we're gonna be adding more to the the mobile suite before we ship version one. More widgets that people have requested. Uh, so you know, this is the right time for anybody who's interested in this kind of development to check it out. And if they have real strong feedback or feelings about what they need inside of a mobile framework for HTML5, let us know, because this is the chance to really have an impact on the early roadmap and uh, help us set the right direction for this product. It's really awesome, Todd. Love it. I can't wait to start rewriting our mobile sites with it. 
Awesome. Well, we can't wait to start helping you do that. Awesome. Uh, Todd Anglin uh, from Telerik, uh, Kendo UI's product, KendoUI.com. Todd, thank you for sharing this time with us. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you next time on The Tablet Show, folks. It's not